And Lord, I thank you that you have brought us into a new season, a season of war and triumph. The world understands war, but you've brought us into triumph. And that's what Purim is all about. This is a month to triumph. Tell your neighbor, it's a time for you to triumph. So welcome to our first fruit celebration. Now, last month, we welcomed you to our first fruit celebration for the month of Adar. And so this month, I want to welcome you to our first fruit celebration of the month of Adar. Two. And the message is the month of Adar 2 for 2022, a month to finally overcome the Amalekites. Now, this is our first fruit celebration for Adar 2. Now, what does Adar 2 mean? Well, in the Hebrew calendar, Adar is the 12th month of the year. Next month is Nisan, and we begin the year over again. But in our calendar, Adar usually begins in February and spills over into March. But this year, there is something special about the month of Adar, because in the Hebrew calendar, this is a leap year. And in a Hebrew leap year, you don't just add an extra day, you add a whole extra month. And the added month is an extra Adar. So this year, we don't just have one Adar, we have two Adars. We've had Adar one already, and today is the first fruits for Adar 2. And if you're going to double a month, Adar is a great month to double. Aren't you glad we didn't have Av and Av 2? <laughs> but Adar is a month to rejoice. Adar is the month of Purim. The Feast of Purim is celebrated on the 14th day of the month of Adar, but in a leap year, it's celebrated in the 14th day of Adar too. So that's this month. Now at Glory of Zion, we're going to have our Purim celebration Wednesday night, March 16th. You want to mark your calendar because that will be a great time of rejoicing and celebration. We'll have it here on site, but you can also join us online. But Purim is the story of Esther. And she is one of the most significant people in all the Bible. And we're going to look at the story of Esther a little bit uh, in just a few minutes. But Purim is a time of joy because Purim means that it's time to experience the favor of the king. It's time to see enemies turn back and curses broken. Now, to fully understand the significance of what happens at Purim, we need to understand something about the Amalekites. See, Israel had an enemy that always wanted to destroy them. They were called Amalekites, and they oppressed Israel over and over again. They attacked Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. They plundered Israel in Gideon's day. In David's day, they attacked the city of Ziklag, taking David's family as captives. God instructed Saul to destroy the Amalekites, but Saul disobeyed. 
And then in Esther's day, an Amalekite named Haman tried to destroy every Jew. Now, the Amalekites always came to steal, to kill, and destroy. Because the Amalekites hated the Jews. The Amalekites continually oppressed and harassed Israel, standing against the covenant and the promises of God. The Amalekites generally avoided a direct attack. They preferred to prey on the weak, the frightened, and the defenseless. And they were always looking for a weakness to exploit. Now, over the years, Israel learned how to resist the Amalekites, but it was not until Purim that the Amalekites were finally overcome. So after Purim, the Amalekites never oppressed Israel again. So in the month of Purim, it's the month to stand against the enemy and finally overcome. Tell your neighbor, finally overcome. (laughs) Now that's significant because we have an enemy more dangerous than Amalekites. And the Amalekites sort of give a picture of our enemy. Paul describes our enemy in Ephesians 6 when he says our struggle, the word there is really the word for hand-to-hand combat, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says that you're in a battle. This is who you're fighting. See, when you came to Jesus, you not only gained a savior, you gained an enemy. Because Satan is real. Demons are real. And when you were born again, you were born onto a battlefield. Spiritual warfare is real. And that's why some of you have faced some problems because you have not understood the battle that you're in. See, there are invisible forces in the world that are opposed to God. Jesus said they come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And they're always looking for a way to attack God's people. And Satan and his forces can attack you in many different ways. They can attack your mind, filling you with confusion and delusion. They can steal away the word of God. They can attack your emotions, filling you with anger or fear or depression. They can attack your will with strong compulsion, strong urges to sin. They can attack your body with many kinds of sickness and infirmity. They can attack your relationships. They can stir up anger. They can create suspicion. They can attack your finances and hold you in poverty and lack. And so we are in a battle against powerful, unseen enemies. And Satan wants to make your life miserable. But God wants you to triumph over the enemy. Tell your neighbor, triumph. 2 Corinthians 2 says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. That means if you are following his lead, you cannot fail. You will end up in triumph. But part of the process for victory is learning to understand our enemy. 
And if we see how Israel overcame the Amalekites, you'll see what you need to do to overcome your enemy. Now we're going to look at five keys to overcome Amalekites. Number one, don't stand alone. We say that when Israel encountered the Amalekites in the wilderness. See, we first encounter Amalekites in Exodus 17 as Israel was making their exodus from Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They were headed down to Mount Sinai. They encountered all sorts of testing along the way. But then at Rephidim, the Amalekites attacked. Deuteronomy 25 tells us it was not an open attack. The Amalekites waited until the Israelites were weary and tired, and then they attacked the stragglers at the rear of the camp. And you know, that's still what the enemy does. Satan loves to pick off the weak, the stragglers, those who have become isolated. And that's why it is important to be knit together in fellowship. Now, to defend against the, the Amalekites, Moses has an interesting strategy. First of all, he sends Joshua to lead the army against the Amalekites. So down in the valley, there's a battle raging. There, Joshua is fighting the Amalekites, but Moses does not stay in the valley. Moses goes up to the top of the hill overlooking the battlefield, and he raises his hands and he prays. And as long as Moses held up his hands in prayer, the Israelites were winning. But when Moses grew weary and put his hands down, the Amalekites began to win. So Aaron and Hur see that Moses is too weary to keep his hands up. And so they get on either side of Moses and hold his hands up so he can continue in prayer. And the result was Israel won the battle. Now the important thing to see here is no one has the strength to defeat Amalekites on their own. The stragglers were too weak to keep up, so the Amalekites attacked them. The soldiers were too weak to keep fighting, so the enemy began to win. Moses was too weak to keep interceding, and the battle began to turn. See, when you're up against Amalekites, it's hard to make it alone. But God had a solution for that. The army came and stood in the gap for the stragglers and protected them. Moses went up on the mountain and stood in the gap for the army so they would find strength. Aaron and Hur came and stood with Moses so his strength would not fail. And the result was they won the battle. And see, part of God's plan for triumph is found in the brothers and sisters around you. That's how God designed the body of Christ, where one, is streak, where one is weak, another is strong. That's the whole nature of covenant. Covenant says, when you are weak, my strength is yours. When the enemy attacks, don't be isolated. You need others to stand with you, to stand around you, to pray for you. And you need to pray for them. So the first key is don't stand alone. God, you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> God does not want you, to, it's not good to be alone, God says. 
Secondly, don't give in to fear. We see that in the story of Gideon. In Gideon's day, the Amalekites joined with the Midianites to attack Israel. The Amalekites and the Midianites showed up at the time of harvest. And they would wait till the harvest was brought in. And then they would swoop down like locusts and steal the harvest. And as a result, the Israelites lived in fear. They fled to dens and caves and rocky strongholds for safety. And after seven years of oppression, Israel called out to God. And God raised up Gideon. Now, Gideon did not start out as a hero. In fact, when we first see him, he is doing something very strange. He is threshing down, he is down in his wine press, threshing wheat. Now, normally, you threshed wheat on a threshing floor up on a hilltop so the wind would blow the chaff away. But Gideon was threshing down in his wine press. That was not an efficient way to, press, to thresh, because if you do that, you don't get much grain, and if you're using your wine press to thresh, you never get any wine. Why was Gideon threshing in his wine press? Because he was afraid. Israel was being plundered by the enemy, and Gideon feared that if he threshed out in the open, the Amalekites would see him, and they would swoop down and steal his grain, and he would have nothing to eat. Gideon was filled with fear. And so God sends an angel to Gideon. And the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now in Hebrew, that word is gibor. It means a warrior hero. But see, Gideon did not see himself as a hero, but his first step in overcoming Amalekites was learning who God had created him to be. And that's the same for us. If you're going to triumph over the enemy, you need to understand who you are. Now God tells Gideon, go in the strength you have. And I think Gideon probably thought, what strength do I have? And some, you know, that, that's sometimes what, how we feel when we are confronting the devil. But God wants you to know that if you have Holy Spirit in you, you have all of the power of the resurrection dwelling in you. You have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. You can tear down strongholds and set captives free. So you do not have to live in fear of the enemy. As a matter of fact, if you know who you are, the enemy will live in fear of you. Now, if you have been fearful and passive, I have good news for you. You can repent. You don't have to stay that way. So the first step is to know who you are, believe what God says about you, and then you receive your plan from God. See, Gideon was filled with fear because he did not see any way that he could defeat the enemy. But God had a plan. Tell your neighbor, God always has a plan. God had an incredible plan. Gideon wasn't sure he liked it when God began to explain it. Because Gideon began with 32,000 warriors. And he was sort of fearful because he didn't think that was enough. 
But God said, oh, that's way too many. And so God trimmed Gideon's forces down to 300. And then God says, here's what you're going to do. Everybody get a shofar and everybody get a clay pot with a torch burning in it. See, God's strategy was not a large, heavily armed army. His strategy was 300 men with trumpets and torches. And see, God's strategies are infinitely creative. It's something no human being would ever have imagined. And so Gideon waits till the middle of the night. The Midianite soldiers are all asleep in their tents. And Gideon has his 300 warriors split into three groups and position themselves on the ridges surrounding the valley. And then Gideon gives the signal. And the peaceful quiet of the enemy camp is shattered by the clatter of 300 clay pots smashing on the ground. As the soldiers peek from their tents, they see the hills surrounding them ablaze with hundreds of torches. As they stumble out of their tents in confusion, 300 shofars sound. And the sound is all around them. It's reverberating through the valley. To the Amalekites, it sounded like they were being attacked by a million-man army. With no time to dress in full armor, they grab their swords and flee in terror. But the sound is all around them. They don't know which way to run. So they run through the camp in every direction. But in the dark, they can't tell friend from foe. And so the Midianites and the Amalekites begin to fight each other while Gideon and his 300 stand and watch. And then they pursue the whole army and destroy them. And so in one night, Gideon set Israel free from seven years of harsh oppression. But first, he had to overcome his fear. See, you can overcome your fear. If you are afraid, if the enemy is keeping you in a place of timidity or fear, first of all, make sure you have a plan from God. And then, when fear tries to overtake you, you claim God's promise of 2 Timothy 1.7. God says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if you say that and you confess that by faith, what you discover is fear will leave. I mean, I've done that over and over again. When I'm in a place of fear, I just say, God hasn't given me (coughs) a spirit of fear. God's given me a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So the keys to overcoming Amalekites First of all, don't stand alone. Secondly, don't give in to fear. Third, find your strength in the Lord. We see that in the story of David at Ziklag. Saul had been pursuing David for years. Things had finally gotten so bad for David and Israel, he flees to the Philistines. You know, it's sort of bad when you're safer among the enemy than you are in your own country. 
He makes friends with a Philistine warlord named Achish, and Achish gives him permission to settle in the village of Ziklag. And so David and his men live at Ziklag for a year and four months. Finally, the Philistines are going to war, and Achish invites David to go along. So David and his men follow uh, the Philistine warrior off to battle. But the other Philistine warriors don't trust David. They think, wait a minute. When they said Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, those were tens of thousands of Philistines. They said, we don't trust this guy. And so they sent him home. Now when David and his men get back to Ziklag, Ziklag has been destroyed. While David and his men were gone, Amalekites raided Ziklag and burned it. And so David and his men arrive home and discover their homes are destroyed, their wives and their children were taken captive by Amalekites. That's called hitting, hitting rock bottom because they had lost everything. Chapter 30, verse 3 says, they wept until they had no strength to weep. 30, verse 6 says, the men got so bitter, they were threatening to stone David. Now with his family taken captive, his home burned, his men turned against him, David could have easily given in to despair. But that's not what David did. Instead, David turns to God. He appeals to heaven. Verse 6 says, David found strength in the Lord. And he not only found strength in the Lord, he received direction from the Lord. David inquired from, of the Lord, uh, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And on the basis of that promise, David rallies his men. They pursued the Amalekites and they found them scattered over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken. And David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And it says, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. And David learned something in that encounter. When things look the darkest, choose to follow God and he will lead you in triumph. See, God always has a strategy for victory. Second Chronicles 20, 20, put your trust in the Lord and you will be established. Believe what his prophets tell you and you will succeed. So the keys to overcoming the Amalekites, first of all, don't stand alone. Secondly, don't give in to fear. Third, find your strength in the Lord. And then fourth, be careful to follow God's instructions. We see that in the story of Saul in 1 Samuel 15. It says, Samuel came to Saul with the word, The Lord says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel. 
So attack the Amalekites, destroy everything that belongs to them, do not spare them, put them to death, along with their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. So Saul summoned his men and went to the city of Amalek to attack it. Now Saul attacked the Amalekites and he killed most of them. Saul spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites. He spared the best of the sheep and the cattle and everything else that was good. And these they were unwilling to destroy, but everything that was despised and weak, they destroyed. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. God said, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Well, Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And then early in the morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul. And Saul said, hey, Sam, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, then what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, well, the soldiers spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. Stop, Samuel said. The Lord anointed you king and sent you on a mission. Why did you not obey? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey, Saul said. The soldiers took sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying? To obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. When you're confronting the enemy, be careful to obey God. Do what he says, and you can prosper. Keys to overcoming Amalekites, don't stand alone. Don't give in to fear. Get your strength in the Lord, and follow God's instructions. And finally, number five, embrace your true identity, and move forward in faith. And we see that in the story of Esther, which is the story of Purim. Now, in Esther's day, an Amalekite had been made prime minister to the king of Persia. His name was Haman. Boo. He was an Agagite. He was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Now, Haman and his family may have been the last Amalekites on earth. Because of his, I mean, and he knew the history I'm sure he knew all the times when Israel had fought the Amalekites and had over, overcome them, had killed many of them, and so he had a hatred of the Jews. So Haman looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews in the Persian Empire. <coughs> so Haman said to the king, there's a race of people in your empire their laws are different from other nations, and they refuse to obey the king. It is not in the king's interest to let them live. 
And so Haman asked the king to issue a decree for all Jews to be destroyed. So the king gave him his signet ring and said, do as you like with these people. And so Haman issued a decree of destruction for the Jews. It was an unchangeable decree. It was sealed with a signet ring of the most powerful ruler on earth. And by Haman's decree, dispatches were sent to all of the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews on a single day, the 13th day of Adar, and to plunder their goods. But, but God, God already had a plan in the works to rescue his people. God had raised up a young Jewish girl named Esther. Now Esther was an orphan and an exile. She had been raised by her cousin Mordecai, who was an official in the king's court. And through an incredible series of events, God positioned Esther to become the queen of the Persian Empire. But Esther kept her true identity a secret. She never told anyone that she was a Jew. Now Mordecai told her about the decree and begged her to help, but she was terrified. She said, if I go to the king without being called and he doesn't raise his scepter to welcome me, I will be killed. Esther knew that going to the king without an invitation could bring a death sentence, but she made her choice. She chose to trust God and move forward. She told Mordecai, gather together all the Jews in the city and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, and when this is done, I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and carried out all of these instructions. And so Esther went into the king, and she was received with great favor. And so she invited the king and Haman to a banquet. At the banquet, the king asked her to make her request, and he promised, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And so Esther, at the risk of her life, reveals her identity as a Jew and makes her request. She said, if it pleases the king, let my life be spared and the lives of my people, for we have been sold to be killed and annihilated. The king said, who has done this? And I think Esther looked over at Haman, <laughs> glared at him with all of the righteous anger she possessed as she answered the king's question. Who has done this? A foe and an enemy. This vile Haman. And it says, then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. And the king got up in a, rage, in a rage and went out, but Haman stayed behind to beg the queen for his life. But as the king was returning, Haman fell on the couch where the queen reclined. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? The king ordered Haman to be hung. 
And then he sent out a new decree, granting the Jews the right to protect themselves and to destroy anyone that might attack them. And so when Haman the Amalekite thought he would finally destroy the Jews, <coughs> the opposite happened. Haman was destroyed and his evil plan was thwarted. Because Esther put her life on the line, trusting God to bring deliverance, she and her people were spared. That's God leading his people in triumph. Now see, the Amalekites always wanted to destroy the Jews, just like demons always want to do you in. But when Esther embraced her true identity, God gave her favor with the king. And she moved forward with boldness. The curse was reversed and the Jews were spared. And the Israelites were never oppressed by Amalekites again. And that happened this month in the month of Adar. And that's why Purim is a time of celebration. Adar is a month to embrace your identity and finally overcome the enemy. You know, Satan has tormented some of you for years. I want you to know it doesn't always have to be that way. God has an identity for you. Your true identity is linked to the invisible world, not to the natural world. And like Esther, you need to know who you are and what God has called you to do. So discover your identity in the spiritual realm this month. Review the prophetic words over your life. Begin moving toward your destiny. And then when the enemy comes to attack you, don't stand alone. Don't give in to fear. Find your strength in the Lord. Follow God's instructions and embrace your true identity and move forward in faith. And God wants you to know that if you will choose to follow him, he will always lead you in triumph. And in this season of war and triumph, what God wants you to know today is this, walk in triumph this month. Thank you, Lord, for Purim. Thank you, Lord, that you always lead us in triumph. Lord, we bless you. We honor you. Father, I pray for a spirit of faith to rest on each one here to move forward in faith and triumph. Tell your neighbor, it's time to triumph. <laughs>